So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to have you click to or turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, and I'm sorry, Nehemiah chapter 3, and then Luke chapter 5. So we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3, and we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 5. And, and so I, I want to talk to you this, this, this morning in this series, Building with, with Blueprints. I want to talk to you about a sermon called The Foundation. I, I want to talk to you about, about the foundation because any, with any structure, the foundation is the most important thing to any structure. And so we're, we're, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah. And if, if you've been with us in this series, then you know that Nehemiah went to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, that they had been there uh, for, for over 70 years trying to rebuild the wall. The city was in destruction. The, the temple, the, the church was destroyed. Families were destroyed. And so for over 70 years, they've been trying to rebuild the wall, uh, but they didn't have plans. They didn't have a blueprint. And so as a result, 70 years, and they, they're still not even close to completing the wall. And so God calls Nehemiah to leave his occupation, to leave his, his position, and then go to, to, uh, to Jerusalem to rebuild the church first. And we learned that, to rebuild the church. And then when the church is healthy, families are healthy, communities, communities are healthy. And so he actually, we're going to learn, he actually rebuilt the wall in, in like 52 days. I mean, he did it in record time, and the reason is, is he had a blueprint. And the reason is, is he had, he, had, he had a plan. He had a plan to build his, his, his life on. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the foundation. See, Nehemiah chapter 3 may, may be one of those chapters that, that when you're life journaling or when you read through Scripture, you just kind of speed read uh, because there's a lot of names of people, and they did this, and they did this, and this person did this. And so that may be some of the times that you and I are tempted to like speed read, but, but I'm telling you, Nehemiah chapter 3 was, was, was in the Bible for a reason. And I think it was in the Bible to help us understand just the, the, the foundation. Because the foundation is important to any relationship, is important to any church. Uh, fact is, when, when we bought this facility, this was the Southside 4 Theater. And uh, in the room that you're in, at one time, this was actually two rooms, not one room. And so when, when we bought this facility, we needed a larger worship space than just the small rooms that they had at, at the theater. And so as a result, we wanted to, we wanted to knock down this, this right where I'm standing was a load-bearing wall where that pole is, was a load-bearing wall. And so we wanted to knock down a wall uh, so that we had a larger worship space. And so the first thing the architects, the engineers did is they studied the foundation because they said if the foundation isn't strong enough, it will not support removing a load-bearing wall and then resupporting it uh, into the foundation. And so they said the foundation. So the foundation is important to anything that we do. Luke chapter 5, you may wonder, well, what, what does Luke chapter 5 have to do with, with Nehemiah chapter 3? Well, here's what it has to do with. Jesus was laying the foundation when he called the disciples. And their foundation is our foundation. It's so important for us to understand these two. So first off, we're going to read Luke chapter 5, and then we're going to walk through uh, Nehemiah. And I... I know if you've already looked on your, on your outline, I have, like, I have like five points for you this morning. And so I know, I know you're used to me just doing three, and so you may be saying, how long are we going to be here today? There's like five. <laughs> well, there's not any football. Nobody's in a rush to get out of here, so just settle in. So, <laughs> so anyway, just trying to help you out on a non-football weekend. So you, you'll be out in the same amount of time. So here we go. Um, this is what Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And so Simon answered, Master, we have, to we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they, that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were, were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And, also, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So now we know the foundation is more than just fish. Now we know the foundation, in fact, is that same foundation in Nehemiah chapter 3. Now we know that the foundation is this, is that God desires for all men to know him. And he desires for us to partner with him. In other words, to become fishers of, of men and women and with a testimony. Because evangelism, listen, evangelism is, is the foundation. That's why they're rebuilding the temple. That's what Nehemiah chapter 3 helps us to understand. So, so five things I have for you this morning. So real quickly, here are the five things. The first one is this. Is if you're, you have to be willing to do the small things. You have to be willing. You have to come to the place in life to where, like you're willing you're just willing to do the small things. You're willing to do the menial task. Uh, um, Nehemiah chapter 3 verse, verse 1, it says, Then Elisha the high priest rose up with brothers and the priest, and they built the sheep gate. And, so, and they consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hanel. And next to him were the men of Jericho, and next to him was Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hashneah built the fish gate. They laid its beams, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. In other words, this doesn't sound very exciting, does it? I mean, it's like stacking bricks, it's building a wall, it's setting doors, it's putting hinges in place. And all of a sudden, they, say, and they, they built two gates. They built the sheep gate, and they built the fish gate. Now listen, the, the sheep gate was this. The sheep gate was the gate where they would take and bring the sheep in to the temple. It's where they would bring the, the sheep in. So they called it the sheep gate. They, these are not very creative people. And so, uh, <laughs> and then they, then they had this fish gate. And it was the place, you, you may imagine, it was the place that bring the fish in. And so they decided, you know what, what should we call that gate? I know, let's call it the fish gate. So they called the sheep gate the sheep gate because that's where they brought the sheep in. They called the fish gate the fish gate because that's where they brought the fish in. But John chapter 5 tells us it had a much deeper meaning than that. John chapter 5 tells us the sheep gate was the place where they bring the sheep into the temple to sacrifice the sheep for the forgiveness of their sins. It's where they felt the presence of God. It's where they felt the holiness of God. The fish gate was the place where they brought the fish in from the market that they had caught at the Sea of Galilee or the Jordan River or wherever, all of a sudden we realized that, that oh no, that, that, 
these may seem like small tasks. These may seem like menial tasks. See, when you, when you looked at the, and talked to the people of, of Nehemiah's day, they did not look at this as small tasks. See, this wasn't for them. This wasn't putting doors in place. This wasn't stacking bricks. That, that was the what. The why was this. The why was so people could come in relationship with God. That's why we're doing this. See, it had a deeper meaning. That, and, and you may have missed it. fact is, I missed it a couple of times in my reading of Nehemiah chapter 3. Many times as I've journeyed through the book of Nehemiah is this. It says that they stopped and they consecrated. They dedicated, they dedicated these areas. See, we know that when we get to the end of, of Nehemiah, we know this. We know that they're going to dedicate the entire wall that goes around Jerusalem that they rebuilt in 52 days. But this area... This area around the temple, when they finished the sheep gate, they dedicated it. When they finished the fish gate, they dedicated it. It was the only part of the wall that got more than one dedication, if you will. In other words, this, it, it helps us understand the spiritual significance. It helps us understand the religious significance of this. See, they understood they understood this is really not a small task. It's really not a menial task that we're being asked to do. The bigger story is this, is that we're helping people to come into a relationship with God. We're, we're like, we're like building, the, we're like building the, the kingdom. And this was a, this was a cooperative um, task. There were people coming from all over Jude, Judea. I mean, there were different backgrounds, uh, different families, different they were coming from all over and they were joining together and they were building together. I mean, different professions, different trades, different families, and they joined together. In fact, is they're the ones when Nehemiah said, we got to rebuild the temple, we got to rebuild the church, we got to rebuild the city. The people said, let us, not you, let us, let us rebuild. In other words, Nehemiah's vision became their vision. Nehemiah's why became their why. And so they said, let us rebuild. See, I think one of, one of the things, one of the obstacles, why, why we're talking about this, one of the obstacles that, that we fight today is this, and, and you know this, right? We're called a tired generation. Right? We're, we're a tired generation. I mean, you look at any of the studies. You look at the busyness and, uh, of, of people of day, and we would consider ourselves like we're just, we're just, a, we're, we're just a tired generation. I mean, it is going to give my age away a little bit, but, but I, I was raised, and when I was raised in Tyler, Texas, things, things were different in society then. I mean, I, I can still remember a time when, when uh, in the evenings we would eat dinner or, or supper, whatever you guys call that, and the last meal, not the last meal of the day, but the last big meal of the day. <laughs> and uh, you know what? We're all out in the front yard. I, I, rem I remember a time. When, like, adults sat on the front porch and did nothing in the evenings. And, like, the kids would play, and the adults are on the front porch telling lies, solving the world's problems, you know, you know jokes, you know, how, you, know, you know how it goes. You know, in my day, you know how we knew it was time to come home? Is when the street lights turned off. When the street lights turned off, you better be on your way home. That's how it, it was a different time. The fact is, when Karen and, I, Karen and I were married in 1983, uh, shortly after that, we bought our first house. And so we go into this neighborhood. And it was like a bunch of starter homes and a bunch of young, uh, young couples. And, and then there were a couple of older couples in there that were just awesome because they, they became like adopted grandparents to us. And still, our rhythm was then. We'd come in from work. Uh, we'd eat, eat dinner. Everybody ended up outside. Everybody in it out, and kids are playing, you know, the, the, the same rhythm. I mean, you, you, we don't have that anymore, right? 
I mean, we, we knew we knew our neighbors. We knew we know our neighbors, we knew their kids, we knew their moms, we knew their dads, we knew their extended family. And we live in a time, we live in a time where we would consider ourselves a, just a tired generation. Listen, if you, if you even know your neighbors' names today, it's kind of kinda weird, right? I mean, it, it's just not very, it, the, only time you, the only time many people got in the front yard is just like to check the mail and, and go in. And so, so we, we live, in a, we live in, a, in a tired generation. And I think sometimes we use that as an excuse to not do the task of the church or the, the small things. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Jesus says, it was said on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing the nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So, you know, so here's what happened. They fished all night. And they fished a lot differently than, than how we fish. They didn't fish with a rod and reel and they were, and, uh, where it was like easy and they're just kind of waiting for something to bite or they didn't fly fish or anything like that. That the way that they fished, they fished through the night. And so the reason they fished through the night is because the Sea of Galilee is a ginormous body of water. I mean, when you see it, you can hardly even see the other end. I mean, it's just this ginormous body of water. And so the sun would come up, it would heat the, the, the water on top and during the day and it would push the fish down to the depths. And so they they didn't, feed dur- they didn't feed during the day. And then when the sun would go down, the cool of the night, the water temperature would change, the fish would come up and, and feed. And so that, that's, when they, that's when they would fish. Because they didn't have the technology, they didn't have the nets that could go down to the depths of the Sea of Galilee. And so that they would, they would fish through the night. And so as the fish came up to feed, uh, they would throw out their nets, and they constantly did this. They, they're big, heavy nets, and they would throw out these nets and bring them in and throw out these nets and, and, and bring them in. And, and they did this they just all through the night. And on this particular occasion, they didn't catch a thing. And so now they're on the shore. They're, they're, cleaning, they're cleaning their nets. And Jesus just simply asked them to do something simple. He tells Simon Peter, he says, gets in his boat and says, hey, would you just push your boat out a little farther so I can teach? Just, just hold it in place. Listen, I, I don't know if you've ever spent any time on the water. Uh, I was raised on a lake in, in, in Tyler, Texas. There were just lakes all around us. And so growing up, we always had a boat. And then when I got married, I had a boat. And so spent a lot of time. I, I mean, I love the water. I love boats because it's, it's some of my fondest childhood memories were, were on a lake. And so if you know anything about boats, then you know this. It's hard to hold a boat in place, especially on the Sea of Galilee because of the currents because of the winds that would come up. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is asking Simon, he's asking Simon Peter, would you just push out the boat a little farther so that I could teach? I mean, this may seem like a a menial task. It may seem like a small task. And, you know, I started started thinking about that verse about if you'll you'll be faithful with the the little things, I'll, I'll give you much. I started thinking about my Christian journey and in the tasks that I've that I that I've done, uh, many of you know my story. And I came to Christ and in, in my twenties, and God radically saved me. And and you know what? I I I was so grateful for what He had done for me, and what He had saved me out of. I just want to serve you. You know my first. You know my my first ministry in a church. I was an usher. 
I still remember when I got, I got my, like my usher badge and I got my usher flashlight and I went through training. And, and you know what they helped me to understand? They helped me to understand. You're just not helping people find a seat. You're helping people to get to know God. You're, you're helping people to get to know Christ. Shortly after that, I, I did like this mission trip in, in Mexico, and I'd only been a Christian less than a year, and there's like this church out of Chihuahua, Mexico, that our church was in relationship with, and they're like in crisis. They had this, they had this storm, and they, they didn't have good drinking water and all those other things, and so they needed to send some guys into Chihuahua, Mexico, um, and, 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 and it was a little risky. Uh, Ed, because you had to get a visa that you were just on a vacation and you weren't going to go build a church or do anything like that. And so, so, you know what? I thought, you know what? I'm single. I got nothing to lose. I'll go. And so we got a group of guys. We got our pickups. We, we, we put the, the church supplies and our building supplies in the front of the cab of the truck and then put tents and stuff because you're going to stay in tents and all of that other stuff. And we headed into Chihuahua, Mexico, and, and, and we got across the border. And then, you know, as you go to deeper checkpoints, it gets a little bit more iffy. And we, we went into this one of the last checkpoints. It was just a rolling checkpoint. They stopped us. They got these machine guns and everything. And so they, they're wanting us to like unload the truck. And so I knew if we unload the truck, the, the deal's done and it could be bad. So you know what? I, I hadn't been a Christian long. I didn't know there were rules against this kind of stuff. So, so I just went over to the guard and I slipped him some money. And uh, we made it through. All the other guys have been Christians for a long time, and they're like, hey, we're glad we brought the new Christian. Uh, <laughs> we would just trust God, and this guy gives them money. And so, you know what? <laughs> and <laughs> so, I didn't know, and so, but I know now. And so I, I wouldn't ever do that again. And so I think about, listen, I think about all the tasks and, you know, seventh grade uh, Bible study class with a group of boys and, 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 and I, I just kept doing things and just kept serving and, and God kept doing something in my life. I started a youth at risk ministry with the, the, with the Crips and the Latin Kings, the little Latin Kings and the Bloods and, and we rented out a, a, a racquetball center and you know what the goal for two hours was? Just to keep them from killing each other. That's all we cared about. And so, and, and. Listen, if you'll be faithful with a little, God will give you much. Listen, if, if you won't do the small things, you will never have great things. Start somewhere. Isn't it true? A lot of people want great things. A lot of people want a great marriage. A lot of people want great relationships. A lot of people want God to do something great in their life, but they're unwilling to do the small things. It's true in marriage, right? I mean, this, you know, we got this marriage conference coming up, and if you have not signed up for that, I'm telling you, you're about ready to miss a huge opportunity. And so after this service, you can, you can go online and you can sign up. We had a lot of people sign up last night after our service, but I'm telling you, you're going to miss a wonderful opportunity because, uh, to, to improve your marriage because every one of us can learn something, right? I mean, this last week about marriage, I, I was thinking about the small things, so, so, I, I, so I asked the Google. So I asked the Google, uh, what makes a marriage great? And you know what the Google told me? It's being willing to do the small things. It's the small things. It reminds me of the story of a husband and wife. They're watching this action flick and, and um, you know, one of those movies with the hero. And so the husband turns to the wife and says, you know, 
you know, I'd take a bullet for you, baby. She looked at him and says, well, well while you're waiting to take a bullet, how about take out the trash? How about clean the garage? How about pick up after yourself? That would be like awesome while you're waiting. To, so it's the small things. So the second thing is this, is it, that we have to be willing. We have to be willing to let down our nets. In other words, we have to be willing to do something. I'm telling you, it, it starts somewhere. It starts with just coming to that place, just willing to do something, just willing to serve, just willing to find a place. Be willing to take down your nets. Verse 4, it says, and, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets. In other words, in other words listen, I, I know that this, this is deep, but if, if you don't have nets in the water, you're not going to catch fish. Right? If, if you don't have a hook in the water with bait on it, you're not going to catch fish. And so we know this is way more than catching fish. Jesus is saying, I will make you fishers of men. Nehemiah, Nehemiah helped them to understand this is way more than building a wall and putting doors in place and setting them in place. It's way more than the sheep gate and the fish gate and the dung gate and all the gates that we're going to look at through this series because all these gates have deep significance to where we're willing, I mean, we're, we are willing to invest in other people's lives. And I... I had a friend in Texas that he was at retirement age and, and he got to the place he'd go fishing and sit on the banks and he wouldn't put any bait on his hook. He'd just throw his line out there. And I'm like, what is up with that? And he says, well, I'm to the place in my life I really don't want to catch any fish because that's when the work begins. I just want to sit on the bank and think. And, and I wonder, I wonder how many Christians there are that really don't want to catch people. Because that's when the work begins. Isn't that true? When you catch fish and you, you have to clean them, it gets messy. When you reach people, when you lead someone to Christ, when you disciple them, that's when it gets messy. There's a lot of people that say, you know what? You know who I want to catch the fish in the church? I, I want the pastors to do that. You realize the Bible says that that's what we do together. That's what every one of us does. And so I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but why is it that when you become a Christian, that if that's the goal, because goal, God says that he desires for everyone to accept Christ, that why is it that when we accept Christ, we don't immediately go to heaven? Why are you here? You're here because of what Nehemiah was helping them to understand. You're here because of what Jesus was trying to help the disciples understand. You're here to catch men. You're here to catch men and women. You're here to... To, to make a difference, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came, this was his why, to seek and to save the lost. The third thing is this, is, is you, have to be willing to, you have to be willing to obey. You have to be willing to obey. You have to be willing to align your life with the Scriptures. Verse 5 in Luke chapter 5 says, And so Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, and we took nothing. So he's like, I, I, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but we, we didn't catch a thing. And we were fishing at the right time. And this is just such a powerful statement that, that Simon Peter says, but at your word, but because, Jesus, because you say so, I'll let down my nets even if it doesn't make any sense. I'll, I'll do it. I think, I think Simon Peter was expressing a fact. I think Simon Peter says, we're tired, we're exhausted, we fished all night, we're cleaning some nets, and now then you're asking us to fish at like the wrong time of the day. But you know what? Because you say so, because your word says so, we will. And sometimes we have to get over, sometimes we have to get over our arguments. 
Sometimes we have to get over our reasons or our excuses why, why, why we don't obey. And sometimes as a pastor, I'm just telling you, sometimes as a pastor, some of the most frustrating conversations that I have with people is like when, when their life is, is a wreck and they're, they're having struggles and they're having problems and, and they like come to me and I say, well, you know what? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that you need to be in a, a life group, that you need to belong, that you need to be in community. And, and that's, where, that's where people are healed and that's where people, uh, relationships are built and that's where discipleship happens. And, and we've got testimony after testimony after testimony in this place of what God has done when people have been willing to do that. And then they look at me and they say, oh, that absolutely will not work for me that's just not going to work. And I'm like, well, like what, what, what you're doing is working? Yeah, but you know what? That's, that, that, doesn't even, that didn't even make any sense to me. See, see, Jesus asked Simon Peter to do something that didn't make any sense to him. But, Jesus, but Simon Peter got over his excuses. He got over his arguments and says, but God, because you say so, because it's in your word, I will. Scripture is really clear that we as believers, that once we've been saved and we met him, then part of our job is to fish for men and women and build relationships with them. And I think sometimes it's so easy for us to forget that, but those people that you're working with, those people that you, you do life with or hang out with uh, who are not Christians, that God has given you a task to reach them. And I think sometimes that the Christians, that we can be Christians for so long that when, when, when people who are not Christians, that we, we judge them so harshly, which I, I honestly don't understand that, that if, if we're still, as believers, with the Holy Spirit in us, if we're still struggling with temptation, if we're still struggling with sin, then how do we think they're going to act without Christ? And so many times Christians judge non-Christians so harshly because they may vote the wrong way, or they may have the wrong belief, or they may have the wrong lifestyle, they may have the wrong words. And I'm thinking, what do you expect them to do? I never forget years back, I, I was still in engineering at the time, and I always kept a, always kept a, a pocket Bible uh, either, either on my desk or in my desk drawer. And, and from time to time, as people ask, I'd have conversations. And in the 80s, I worked at an engineering company, and there was two individuals that, that worked with me on my team, and a male and a female. And, uh, and I was always talking about them to them about the importance of reading Scripture. Two weeks ago, uh, I get an email. I have not talked to them since the 80s. I, I left that company, and they left, and then moved to Pueblo and, and, uh, to start a church in 95, and I, I hadn't talked to them since. And I get an email uh, from them and says, Hey, uh, we just want you to know, we don't know if you remember us. We worked with you for a very short time. Uh, but all of those conversations you had with us of Scripture and the importance of reading Scripture, we finally come to the point where we think it would be a good idea to start reading Scripture and get involved in a church. That was over 30 years ago. Listen, let me tell you something. You and I are just called to be obedient and leave the results up to, to him. The fourth thing is this, is be willing to give God glory. Just be willing to give God glory. Luke chapter 5, verse 6, he says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. In other words, this, when you're willing to follow him, God will bless you. When you're willing, I'm telling you, there is a blessing in following him. Verse 8, he says, but when Simon Peter saw it, and this is just kind of funny to me, 
he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon Peter actually is kind of like a contradictory statement. Simon Peter actually gave the reason that we need Jesus. Uh, he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. So that's kind of a weird statement for Jesus to say. I'm a sinful person. Get away from me. But here's what I think Jesus, what Simon Peter was, was trying to say. I didn't do this. God, you did it. I think it was from a position of humility. I think, I think that's one of the, right, that's one of the attractions, one of the things that attracted people to Jesus was he wasn't arrogant, he was humble. This wasn't a position of pride for Simon Peter, this is a position of humility. Lord, I, you did this. I'm telling you, if you'll follow God, if you'll obey him, there is blessing. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, it says of Jesus, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So anyway, he hung out with people that were much different than him, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is what it says about Jesus in, in Hebrews seven twenty six. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, talking about Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. I mean, how, how, can, how can he be a friend of sinners and separated from sinners? Because Jesus was holy without being holier than thou. And he walked this earth with, with he walked this earth with, with humility, and he was he was holy, but he wasn't holier than thou. Do do unbelievers do unbelievers like hanging out with you, or do you think you're better than them, because you're a Christian and because you're a Christ follower? See the thing about Jesus and the thing about Simon Peter was this issue of, of, of humility. In, in your U version, in your notes, is Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 33 through 32. We, you, you can read that for yourself, and you can read that in life group. The fact is, your life group leaders are going to help you unpack this this next week. So the fifth and the last thing is this, is just be willing to follow him. Just be willing. Just be willing to follow him. Luke chapter 5, verse 11, he says, And when they had brought their, their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. They left every excuse. They left every argument. They left everything and followed him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, let's just tell you what Jesus was saying. If you're not fishing, you're not following. Jesus did not say, follow me and you will learn to be a fisherman one day. He said, follow me. Just start out somewhere. Just start out with that menial task. Just start out with that small task. Just find that, just find that place where you can serve. Just find that individual that you can minister to. Just start out somewhere. There's so many people that would say, you know what? One day, one day I'm going to do great things for God. One day I'm going to jump out there and one day I'm going to do great things for God. Listen, it starts with doing the small things. It starts with just starting on the journey. That, that's why we, we call our class the journey here. It's Friday. It's, I'm sorry, it's Saturday, February the 4th. You can sign up for that where you learn our history and our strategy and the different areas of, of, our, of, our, of our ministry here and where you can belong and where you can plug in. It, you, just, you just start out because it, it's, it's a journey. And, and, and you may say, you know what? Well, I don't think you understand. I, I'm like busy. I'm so busy, I... I I can't serve every weekend. Well, we're, we're not asking you to serve every weekend. In fact,
fact is, we don't want you to serve every weekend. You, you may say, well, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I mean it, it seems like, it seems like a, a process. It seems like a process here. At, we'll help you through the process. Fact is, fact is, Ephesians chapter 4 says that's our job description. That we're to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I'm telling you, Nehemiah and Jesus talked about this issue of foundation and talked about this issue of foundation. And, and listen, if you're not a fisher, you're not a, you're not a, a follower. And, and listen, I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying you have to. I'm not saying that. If you feel like you have to, don't. I'm not saying you have to. I'm asking a deeper question. Do you want to? Because of your relationship with Christ and what is done for you, do you even want to? Because that's the motivation that we serve. When we know our why. 